Hey everyone, it's Blake, and this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Uh, actually, was planning on discussing AEW Full Gear a little bit later in the week you know, on our normal uh, weekly episode, but I wanted to go ahead and give you a nice little bonus episode here with uh, complete thoughts on AEW Full Gear, given the buzz uh, coming out of that show uh, and what many people, myself included, thought was uh, without question one of AEW's best uh, pay-per-view efforts to date. And quite frankly, could have been their best uh, from top to bottom. So let's jump into it and talk about everything that took place at AEW Full Gear at Daly's Place in Jacksonville. Started off with the buy-in, which you you had Serena D versus Allison K, and uh, this was for the NWA Women's Championship, of course. I thought this was something that, of course, you heard us talk about it on the preview episode that you know they were giving the NWA Women's Championship as much of a spotlight as the AEW Women's Championship. And this was another example, I thought, of that, uh, because these two had a great match. Uh, Serena Deeb and Allison Kay, they just, they gave them the time to tell the story. You know, that's a good idea, because uh, these two had good chemistry. Uh, again, they gave them plenty of time because it was on the buy-in. They didn't have to necessarily worry uh, about rushing them out there and doing anything, uh, you know, that, that was going to be of a, of a short nature. Like, they were allowed to work their style, and I thought these two had a great chemistry together. Uh, it was the simple type of storytelling, I think, that you get from these kind of matches, and I think it's what Serena Deeb given her experience, is going to bring to this AEW roster. Uh, but, of course, as we know, she is the NWA Women's Champion. Uh, but I also thought here that Allison Kay, she is someone that, if you're AEW, you know, she just announced her exit from NWA. Um, this is someone I would pick up because I think she would be a very valuable member of the roster. Um, there are obviously others out there that could do the same, which we've talked about before, people like Layla Hirsch, um, some of the others. I mean, I feel like this would be a, a good addition, and so I wonder what the next move is for her. Uh, obviously, as we said, just to sort of announcing her future with the NWA uh, here recently, and where does she go from here? I thought this was a good showing. If you're Tony Khan, you're trying to improve the women's division. Um, I'm not sure what else you would probably need to see in order to add her to the division uh, because this was a really good match, and that led to the big moment after the match, which was none other than Thunderosa uh, coming back and going face-to-face with Serena Deeb, the person she lost her NWA Women's Championship to, and that's that simple storytelling I, I said earlier. You know, that's the simple stuff. Like, it's very simple. Champion loses their title. Challenger wins the title. Champion comes back trying to get the title back from the new champion. Like, it's it's a very simple story, and I think AEW could do a lot more of this with its own women's division uh, because this was pretty much all you needed to know. This got you excited for a future Thunder Rosa versus Serena D rematch for the NWA women's title. But at the same time, if you're AEW, you know, you have Serena D under contract. Uh, if you can get someone like Thunder Rosa under contract eventually, then obviously it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, as where it's going to be a theme of the show, uh, AEW and Cody has said it many times, Tony Khan said it many times, they're not afraid to work with other companies. And we're seeing that. And, uh, you know, we'll have another example of that coming up in the next match. But uh, I thought this was really good on the buy-in. Um, and it gives people an opportunity to see, you know, these are three women that could be main featured attractions on AEW television uh, as part of the women's roster, uh, even if they're working for other companies. And so uh, that's something else, too, where I think AEW with its own talents, and again, we know Serena Deep's under contract, but uh, with Thunder Rosa, with Allison Kay, um, these, they're featured very well. And I think 
I wish they would be able to do that a little bit more with their own talent uh, that are under contract right now. And that's not to knock, you know, Thunder Rosa or Allison K. They deserve it. Like, give Thunder Rosa, I've said it many times, like, give her the belt and let her run with it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think there are ways that they can improve uh, what they're doing with, with everything else with their women's division. But uh, as I said, uh, the theme would be that AEW would work with anyone and, uh, you know, have that partnership with other companies. As Cody said, the bridges are down. And that was definitely the case in the next match because we started off uh, the show proper with Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page and Don Callis, uh, of course, from Impact Wrestling. He was on commentary here, and they even put it on the overlay, Impact Wrestling, Don Callis. Like, this guy is from another company. He's from Impact. And I thought that was a very cool touch because that, you know, Don Callis, I thought, brought a lot to commentary on this match, of course, given his... You know, his nature and relationship with Kenny Omega, uh, I thought it was a cool touch to add him to commentary, a very smart move there, uh, even with a four-man booth, you know, with Excalibur, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Don Callis. I thought it worked. Uh, They did a really good job with this match. And the story of this one, as you would expect, was that these two guys just know each other so well in the ring. And I love that sequence, being able to see these guys go after some of these signature moves we've seen from them, but the other knows it's coming and is able to counter it and able to reverse it. Um, you know, Hangman knowing which moves Kenny Omega is going to use, Kenny Omega knowing which moves Hangman's going to go to because they were tag team partners for so long. They had that history together, and I thought it was such an easy way. Again, storytelling, like it's not that hard. You don't have to complicate it. Uh, they did a really good job telling the story here uh, with these two, again, being able to match each other move for move just because they know what's coming, uh, and that was pretty much the theme of this match, very hard-hitting match, um, some great spots along the way. I mean, there's just so many different things uh, that you could point to. This was just an incredible match, and really – for the majority of the night, I thought this was the best match on the card. There may have been one later uh, that topped it, and we'll get to that in a bit. But um, I thought this was just fantastic, and I don't think you expected anything less. Uh, when you saw that this was going to open up the card, I think you knew what you were going to get. Uh, when you have a pay-per-view, and again, AEW has only a certain amount of pay-per-views per year, uh, you want to start in a hot fashion, and that's exactly what they did here, and I thought they picked the right match to do it. You knew you were going to get a great one, and you did. Um, you know, Kenny Omega doing the moonsault off the barricade. That was insane. Just so much, so many athletic moves in this match. And again, these two work so well together. They have that chemistry, even though they've been tag team partners for so long. They just have, you know, they have the past and they have that build behind the story. Um, and, and they made it work here, I thought, just uh, to, to the to the best possible way. Like, I, I thought they just really made it work. Um, and now, you know, Kenny Omega gets the win. He's the number one contender. Now what for Hangman? And we'll have a little bit more of a tease with that <laughs> later on. But, but Kenny Omega, um, you know, I think a lot of people from the very start of this tournament thought he was going to win it. Um, just made more sense, I think, to get to Kenny Omega versus John Moxley rather than having Hangman Page, because I think there's more story to tell with Hangman moving forward. And I feel like that's what we're going to see here with him losing this match and uh, with the little tease we're going to have later on uh, with him and uh, his other uh, former fellow friends. John Silver versus Orange Cassidy. I think regular listeners know where my loyalty lies here, but uh, in all seriousness, this was uh, this was a good match. Like, I think, you know, that's what we said. You In AEW, you talk about the variety, and I thought this was the theme of the show, where... You go from that match you had against from Kenny Omega and Hangman Page to John Silver versus Orange Cassidy, two guys 
you know, personality-wise that are right there at the top, I think, in AEW. You can certainly argue that these two guys, in terms of their characters, their personalities, like, they're top five. Like, they're right up there, uh, and that's how they've gotten over. And I, I keep pointing this out, but the thing AEW does so well, to me, they let these guys be themselves, and they let that personality come out. If these guys get over on their own, they're not quick to say, you know what, we're not going to put them you know, in these top spots because uh, we didn't push them, so therefore we want to do it our way, and we don't really care that they got over organically or, or the fans decided that they wanted these guys to, to be in the ring more or have more time on television or pay-per-views or whatever. Uh, AEW just rolls with it, and I think these two guys are a perfect example of that. I mean, we knew Orange Cassidy coming into AEW. You knew the backstory. You knew the character was already over. And they haven't really done anything to stifle that. And then with John Silver, who just organically becomes over based on all his hilarious shenanigans that he does on being the elite. And now with what he's doing in the ring with the Dark Order, um, it's just it's one of those things where you just you let it let it ride, man. You just let these two do their thing. And I thought they did that here. I mean, you had dueling chance for Orange Cassidy and John Silver. I mean, how, how much better does it get than that? <laughs> Where you just got everyone loves these two guys, um, and so John Silver is also, I think, in the middle of this. Not just the personality. I mean, you can laugh at this guy for everything that he does, but he's also found a way to become just the ultimate heel. Like he does all these heel tactics. Of course, tearing orange Cassidy's pockets. Um, you know that was a, a pretty fun spot here, and you know that's that's what a heel would do. Like that's what do you go after orange Cassidy? You go after his pockets um, on his on his wardrobe there and so i just thought these two actually had pretty good chemistry i didn't really know exactly what we'd get from this match uh but you've seen two guys like this evolve from just being comedy type characters um to being guys who can actually get in the ring and go with anyone and i think we're seeing that i mean we've already seen it with orange cassidy with all the matches he's had these high profile championship matches and now with john silver like i think john silver is just taking that next step and i thought this match was it because he was fantastic here his offense, the strikes, uh, the kicks, like he's he's got it. And I think you can put him in there with anyone. Uh, these two really impressed, you know, putting them in, in this spot uh, on pay-per-view. Uh, I thought they, they did a great job here. I just thought this was a good match, and I'd love to see more future matches between John Silver and Orange Cassidy because they've just got the characters that play so well off of each other. Um, you know, Silver just hating everything that Cassidy does, and then Cassidy just sort of, you know, being the laid-back guy who doesn't take uh, Silver's uh, yelling and screaming and antics uh, too seriously. So uh, another, you know, two-for-two two here because I thought this was a, a very good match. Uh, then that led us to Cody versus Darby Allen. and uh, if you haven't seen the show yet, spoiler alert, we didn't get Sting, and we, uh, we kind of teased a little bit about about that on the predictions uh, episode of the podcast here uh, with Andy Perez but uh, no sting uh, but that was okay because we still got a pretty good match here between Cody and Darby Allen the theme of this one I thought was uh, very well done because you had Cody playing up those heel tendencies throughout the match uh, you know you had him doing push-ups you had Arn getting pissed at him for doing push-ups in the middle of this big championship match on pay-per-view and, you know, at the end of the match, you had Arn even more frustrated at Cody. You could see Arn's frustrations. And, of course, that's because Darby Allen won the TNT title. Uh, and he, you know, played up the whole way. Like, you just had Cody almost getting too confident with the fact that he had already beaten this guy multiple times. And he just felt like he was going to find a way to do it again. But that didn't happen, you know, because Darby Allen was the one who just sort of kept going after Cody, even though Cody took control of the match for the large majority of it. 
it was that situation where, in the end, uh, you know, Cody's cockiness sort of got the best of him. And I think you had Darby Allen. A good showcase here for him as well, you know, being able to play that guy who, you know, while he wasn't the one that was in control the entire match, he played that sort of underdog type babyface, and that allowed him in the end, you know, to get this opportunity, just needed that one second to be able to counter what Cody was doing, and where Cody gets a little bit too cocky, and that allows Darby Allen uh, to get the win. And you know, one of the big spots everyone was talking about, he had the Avalanche Crossroads uh, from Cody, of course, off the top. That was an insane move. Um, but uh, overall, I you know I picked Darby Allen to win this match. I thought as it went along, I wasn't exactly sure if that was going to be the case, but you know, I thought they told the story well enough to where it is. Like they can they can go back to this match at some point. I don't think we're going to go back to this match right away uh, because afterwards you had Ricky Starks and Brian Cage come out. They attack Cody and Darby, so naturally that's going to probably lead to something. Which you know, I don't know. Like you've got four guys here that are probably going to be interchanging a bit with Starks, Cage, Cody, and Darby. Uh, but I feel like the next thing, of course, I would like to see, I'd love to see Darby Allen uh, versus Ricky Starks. They've been building that up on Dark uh, for a while now. They've been building up that tension between those two. Um, and so I think eventually we're going to get there. Maybe that's the next match. Maybe Revolution. Maybe it is Darby Allen versus Ricky Starks. But it looks like these four are going to be involved in each other. And then Will Hobbs, of course, comes out uh, as well with the chair to run these two off. So you're going to have a lot of you know mixing here with these. And that's what, uh, again, I think AEW does very well is they're able to you know tie in multiple guys to one storyline. And they also have multiple storylines going on. It's not necessarily just with one group or one person. Um, and I think that's what you're going to have here. Cody may be in the middle of this a little bit, given the attack from those two. Uh, but also, I'm sure you'll have Cody you know with other programs. And uh, Team Taz just trying to to wreak havoc and that's what they're doing right now uh so interested to see what we get with this i assume we probably get a tag team match out of it i uh, don't know exactly how will hobbs is going to factor into the mix maybe you you know you add someone else and you do a six man uh, we'll see but uh darby allen the new face of tnt as the uh, tnt champion so uh gonna be very interested to see you know where they go from here and i thought it was one where people talked about, well, maybe don't end Cody's reign, you know, this next reign as quickly. Uh, but I, it was time. Like this big pay-per-view spot on this stacked card, I think if you're going to give Darby Allen his moment, this was it. And now you run with it. And you let this guy, again, be himself like we talked about with others. Um, and I think he'll he'll run with it and do a really good job. So, And then we had the AEW Women's Championship on the line with Hikaru Shida defending her title against Nyla Rhodes. You know, I said before, I I thought the previous match between these two was pretty good. And, you know, so I think they they at least made the right call on that going into it, knowing that you have two here that have worked well with each other in the past. Even though, you know, with all the criticism about the women's division, this was probably, you know, one of the best matches you were going to get. And I thought they did a good job because their first match was solid. And I thought this was another solid match. I'll tell you, the one thing that stood out to me was Hikaru Shida, again, for all the criticism people have of AEW's women's division, I hope it doesn't overshadow the fact that Shida is very, very good. Like, she is such a versatile talent. Um, You know, she has hard-hitting offense, but at the same time, she can sell really well. And I think that that ability of her to do both, uh, that's what makes a good wrestler. And um, so she's she's very good. And I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I picked her to win this match, but... I'm sort of glad they kept the title on her because I think you can just do a lot more with that. And that's nothing against Nyla. I just think that you can do a lot more with Sheeta as champion now as long as you have people to go after. And, you know, what's the next step? 
with this because it seems like, you know, Sheeta re retains the title here and you have the aftermath of Vicky Guerrero getting mad at, at Nyla Rose. And so you wonder if there's a split coming there between those two. That would offer a different program, you know, aside from the actual title. And so it feels like, you know, you move to Sheeta versus who? And I feel like the only choice, at least right now, in terms of where they're at, is probably Britt Baker. And I feel like that's the match you go to now is Sheeta versus Britt Baker. And maybe that's what they build uh, for Revolution because that feels like the next logical step in terms of the, the next person. Now, again, if that's, you know, assuming they don't sign anyone else or, or somebody else comes in right away and is someone that challenges right there at the top, you just feel like that's probably the next move. Um, you know, I don't know that they go to Anna Jay or, or someone like that right now in terms of the heel roster that they have. I don't think they're going to Penelope Ford just yet in that spot. So it just it just feels like that that's the next thing is Britt Baker is someone uh, who goes after the championship and maybe she's the one that finally dethrones Sheeta as champion. Uh, but this was good because you just had that story of of Nyla focusing on Sheeta's leg. Um, that plays into Sheeta not being able to do her usual offense because she does have you know the kicks and everything she tries to do uh, with that. So I thought that was a nice little touch uh, having her work on Sheeta's leg the entire way. Uh, but then you know you just have Sheeta just finding a way to turn it into that next gear and no pun intended but uh, she went full gear in this match because um, you know at the end where she's just kicking Nyla and just continues kicking her and then gets the win like that's that aggressiveness from Sheeta uh, that I love and that's what makes her such a good wrestler is you know she's able to not only take the beating but when she wants to turn it on uh, she can you know kick the shit out of you and that's kind of what she did here in this match uh, with Nyla, and that's what allowed her uh, to get the win. So I just I hope that they continue with Sheeta. The one thing I would love to see is just continue to add more of that character development. She is your champion. Like, she is your AEW Women's Champion. She's the top person in the AEW Women's Division. Um, continue adding a bit more of that character to her. Give her some video packages. Give other things rather than just having her get into the ring and not have much of a story behind it. Um, and look, there there was a little bit of a story behind this one because they did have the previous history. They had played this up a little bit on AEW Dark. They hadn't really done a lot other than that. And, you know, I think, but, but you really just, I think if you can just give Sheeta more opportunity rather than just putting her in the ring every now and then on Dynamite or Dark or whatever, Give her some video packages. Bring out more of that character, more of that backstory. Uh, she's the champion, and you need to treat her as such, and I hope that's what they do, and, and maybe they'll be able to do more of that as they head into this next feud, which, again, I'm just going to predict is against Britt Baker. Could be against someone else. Um, don't know exactly, like Abaddon. We know she was out there. Um, don't know what the injury status is with her, so maybe eventually she comes back and she's in the mix. Um, you know, I don't know, but I just feel like you need to put more time into giving that character development behind Sheeta because she has been the champion for so long now and there's so much that you can do with that um, so hopefully they do that but I did I thought this was a good match I know some people said they, they preferred the first one uh, but I thought this one was was pretty good too so and then it was FTR versus the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championships and of course going in the stipulation was that if the Young Bucks didn't win they would never challenge for the titles again I think a lot of people thought that maybe that put a situation on the match where it seemed like it was predictable. 
I don't really think that was the case. I thought this was one coming in. You know, I if you listen to our, our previous episode, our predictions episode, I picked FDR here. I thought that this was going to be a situation maybe where with Matt Jackson's injury, uh, maybe take some time off. And I was, well, they're not going to win the titles and maybe take time off. I felt like that probably wasn't going to be the move. But turns out I was wrong because uh, the Young Bucks do get the win. Uh, they will indeed be able to challenge for the tag team titles again because they actually hold them now. I was one of the ones that, that came into this not really invested into this build to the match at all. I just didn't think it got to that level to where we thought it would for a match like this, one that's years in the making. Um, but it didn't matter once you got into the match because the, the thing is, the storyline behind the match leading into it doesn't always have to be perfect if the match itself tells the story, and that's what you got here. Uh, they told the story in the match. Any of those little things we wanted along the way in the build to it, it didn't matter once the match started because they tied in so much good stuff. Uh, all the callbacks, all the different things, like this was pretty much one of the closest things you'll find to a perfect tag team wrestling match. And I, I said that during it as just like this was tag team wrestling, and you would expect that from two of the best tag teams in the world. Um, just the psychology, the different elements that they added. They they told the story. Uh, they were able to sell the injuries. Um, they just did so many things well in this match. And again, for the people who say that Young Bucks matches don't have psychology, I would point you towards this match because it had everything you needed. You had, you know, Cash Wheeler uh, going after Matt's knee, Matt selling the knee injury throughout the match. Um, and then, of course, you had Dax Harwood getting the hand injury, and they were wrapping up the hand. It's bleeding everywhere. And then that had the Bucks going after that hand. And so they're both going after each person's weakness in this match. Um, and then, you know, FTR, their constant ability to cut off the ring. You want to talk about popping for something? Like, how crazy is it that sometimes you just pop the fact that these guys are able to cut off the ring the way that they are? Uh, and that's the thing, you know, they always bring up on commentary. Jim Ross brings it up all the time just about how they always kind of split the ring and keep the guys on their side. Uh, it really was. Like, it was all about tag team wrestling. It wasn't just a couple things here or there. The entire match was built around tag team wrestling in terms of the teamwork, in terms of the psychology, everything you need to be a great tag team. And this had it all. Of course, the Bucks using all the tag team finishers, uh, going back, using the different ones. It's sort of the, you know, the stroll through the pass there with those. You know, you get the double sharpshooter uh, and, you know, the ultimate finish, I think, for a match like this was Matt winning with the super kick after, you know, Cash Wheeler gets a little too excited and goes for a flip of his own uh, and it doesn't work out well for him. So that was sort of uh, the perfect finish for, for the match, for the story behind these two was the fact that, okay, well, Cash Wheeler decided, what do we have to do to beat this team? We're going to go to their own playbook, and for all the things we've done about knocking this over the years, we're going to do it anyways, and it cost them, and it was the super kick that got the job done for the Young Bucks. This was just tremendous. I don't know how else to say it. I think probably by the end of the night, this was my favorite match on the card. Um, it was, you know, and again, it's it's subjective. You can judge that match. Both of them are great matches in terms of Omega versus Page and this match in particular. But I just thought this is one that even on the first watch, 
like this stood out as one of the, the one of the best. I mean, tag team matches we've seen in a while. Of course, everybody's going to point to the one at Revolution. I'm not sure. You know, you can try to compare them. I guess um, I would maybe still have that Revolution tag match ahead of this one. Um, but either way, I don't. I don't think you play comparisons here. I think you just enjoy what you got uh, because this was a fantastic tag team wrestling match, and you know it's just one where they they did even with the disappointment with the build to the match. They delivered, and I don't think you really expected them not to. Like, we knew they were going to deliver a good match, but I thought this was even better maybe than I expected uh, with these two. That led to the story after the match with Kenny Omega coming out to celebrate with the Young Bucks, and you had Hangman Page sort of creeping in the aisle uh, back there just standing and watching um, and clearly not very happy. And, you know, he ultimately doesn't come down. So now I think that adds the next layer to Hangman Page's story. We said that earlier where this guy loses his shot at the title. He said it in that interview going into it with JR. Well, where do I go from here? Well, now he doesn't have the title. He sees Kenny, or now he doesn't have the title shot. He sees Kenny Omega down there with his best buds, with the Young Bucks, and he's the outsider. He's the guy who's left alone without anything uh, but the beer in his hand. And I think that is going to add another element to this Hangman story, and I think that adds to the eventual chase where, as I've said, Moxley to Omega, Moxley and Omega is the next money match. If Omega wins the title, then you work your way back to Omega versus Page for the title. And then I think that's where eventually you get Hangman Page winning the AW World title. But how how quickly that happens, how far down the road that is, I don't know. But I think this is the starting point for getting back to that point. You know, th- this Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page match, this was just the beginning, I think. We've still got a long story to tell uh, with these two because you know, the hangman sort of, he is. Like, now where does he go next? Does he snap? Uh, what happens here? I think there's a lot of ways you could go with it, and it opens up a lot of question marks uh, moving forward. And a change of pace for the next match, <laughs> to say the least, uh, the ultimate or the elite deletion match. Uh, Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara. Um, this is one that I don't think I'm going to be able to properly s- describe, so I'm not going to spend too much time trying to describe it. Um, it was exactly what you expect from a match at the Hardy compound. Uh, it had all the little wrinkles. It had all the little Easter eggs. Um, it had all the fun stuff. Like Again, such a... And this we'll talk about with the variety, and we'll get to that a bit more in the main event. But like this just adds another element of variety on the show where you have the great technical wrestling, you have the great tag team wrestling, um, you know, you have the two personalities with Silver and Cassidy. You've got the backstory of Cody and Darby Allen. You've got more story with, with Sheeta and Nyla Rose. Um, and then you have this, which is just a complete change of pace, uh, just complete <laughs> insanity. Hey, I mean, I, I thought Matt Hardy was going to win. He won the match. Uh, but really, it was about more than, than kind of what you saw here because you had private parties, Santana and Tortiz getting involved. Uh, you had Matt and Sammy shooting each other with fireworks. And then you had uh, the Hurricane and Gangrel. How about that? Gangrel uh, making his return uh, to uh, big pro wrestling television uh, in 2020. Pretty fantastic. Uh, he looked pretty good here, though. I thought Gangrel could could get in the ring and mix it up with anybody. Uh, this guy looked like he was in great shape. Uh, so that was cool to see uh, Gangrel and the Hurricane in there. They did the callbacks. To the other points in the feud between these two, of course, the scary spots and the one where we said we hoped this wasn't going to be an actual wrestling match. And actually, there was a lot more wrestling in this than I thought there would be. And there was a lot more dangerous spots uh, than expected. That led to the finish, of course, where you had the same spots uh, that Matt got knocked out uh, at All Out. Uh, and you had Matt spearing Sammy to the floor uh, inside, you know, the garage or whatever it was. 
And that led to uh, Matt being able to pretty much just destroy Sammy from there. And he used the chair at the end, uh, the concerto style, um, to to hit Sammy in the head. And this was a brutal finish. I mean, this was uh, pretty just brutal. And then you had uh, Matt uh, putting uh, him in a trash can and and then sending him off with uh, Senor Benjamin. Uh, But man, this was uh, this felt like another, you know, different character point for Matt Hardy because he almost turned into this just maniacal, uh, psychotic type of guy here in the way that he just destroyed Sammy at the end. Uh, So now I think it's what do you do with Sammy in terms of where does he go from here? Um, Obviously, I think after something like this, even though it was in the setting at the Hardy compound, you probably leave him off TV for a little bit. Uh, Don't know exactly. I wouldn't expect him just to come waltzing back out on Dynamite on Wednesday night. Could be wrong. Uh, But uh, I thought this was, uh, man, this this was different. But uh, it's, you know, it's and again, too, this probably for some people, probably not their their taste. Uh, but if you just enjoy it for what it is, you know it's not going to be a straight wrestling match. You know there's going to be a lot of wackiness involved. I thought this was really good. And again, tied in the other points in the feud uh, they've already had between these two. So now we see where both of them go. I mean, this Matt Hardy character, what do you get out of it? And then with Sammy, as I said, uh, I've said before, I think Sammy's a future ba- future star babyface. I don't think that's going to happen right away because he's got the inner circle stuff going on. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with those two. Speaking of the inner circle, uh, it has a new member now because MJF is in the group. And I uh, I think most people expected that because that that just adds to the tension to where do things go from here? Uh, Because now that he's in there, you know, where do things go? Where do you have that tension each and every week? You're going to have something that in the back of your mind, you're going to be thinking, is this where MJF turns or is this where Jericho or someone else or Sammy or Santana or Ortiz or Wardlow or Jake Hager? Like there's so many different ways you can go with this. So I thought this was the most logical direction was to have MJF win this match, uh, and he did. And, you know, the cool touch to start where MJF comes out with the light-up jacket uh, for his entrance, so uh, playing homage to uh, Jericho there. And then MJF would uh, do the same with another wrestling legend in the finish here as uh, you had the awesome and I thought perfect finish uh, with MJF pulling the Eddie Guerrero special uh, where he acts like he gets hit, Uh, with the bat by Jericho, and he falls to the mat while the referee turns around and sees Jericho with the bat, Um, and then MJF rolls him up to get the win. Uh, I thought it was just a a great finish, just a perfect finish, given these two, where you have MJF basically saying, I will do anything to get into this group, and you know, just two heels, and I think having both of them kind of play that up during this match, uh, and as pointed out by commentary, by the way, uh, Chris Jericho hitting a Frankensteiner, uh, knowing that he's about to turn 50, that's pretty insane uh, because he did it pretty cleanly. Uh, and, uh, you know, just MJF doing anything he could to win the match, and we saw that with the finish. I don't know that necessarily this was a match that that probably, you know, I don't think it was on the level of, of a lot of the other matches on the show, but I think it was more about the story anyways. I don't think we expected a five-star spectacle from MJF and Chris Jericho given the story. I just think you were, you know, you had two heels <laughs> going up against each other. Those are always weird dynamics. Uh, but the story itself sold this match. And uh, now, as I said, I think it sold this match, but it also sells you on the story moving forward because uh, you have a lot more options in terms of match possibilities uh, with where you can go with the story with MJF in the inner circle. And, you know, does he eventually become the leader? Does we go from here? Like, where, where do you go? And I think that's that's something, too, where, you know, you're not really exactly sure. And so that, that's going to lead you uh, to tune in and be curious about where they do go from here. And then it was the main event. John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, AEW World Championship, I quit match. Wow. I don't even know where you start uh, with this one because we knew it was going to be destruction. I said going in, like, this is going to be glorious destruction between these two. They're going to try to rip each other apart. 
and they did, um, <laughs> to say the least. Um, this was brutal. This was violent. These two literally just trying to completely annihilate the other um, and would not, neither one would back down. Spot after spot after spot with the thumbtacks, with the barbed wire, um, with Eddie Kingston pouring alcohol onto John Moxley's back after he had about 100 thumbtacks in it and he's bleeding everywhere. Um, just insane. Like, but again, this was what you expected from these two. We did not go in thinking they were going to have a wrestling match for the AW World title. You knew it was going to be a full-on aggression, and these two were going to go at it and not let up. And that's exactly what they did. Um, this was just incredible. Like, I thought this was just a, an unbelievable display of just pure brutality. Um, and that's what it said with the variety. You know, this was the main event on the show where you had some of these, these you know, technical wrestling matches with Omega Page, uh, FDR and the Young Bucks. But then you had this as the main event. This was another different change of pace because these two just tore each other apart. Um, and then at the end, of course, Eddie Kingston, he says, I quit. It's very low. You can barely hear it. Uh, you could see Eddie Kingston maybe coming back and, and disputing this again. Um, but either way, I think this gives you opportunity moving forward with Eddie Kingston. I mean, he's already sold himself as a main event player given what he's done with the promo work and the build to this match. So he's 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 a he's a top guy moving forward. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, you know, and now of course Omega comes out at the end. It sets up Kenny Omega versus John Moxley for the AEW World title. Um, and that's your next big match. And I think it's where we thought that it was going to get to. Um, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's too predictable. I, I just, I don't agree with that because I think it was predictable for a reason. It was because it was the one that made the most sense when you go back a year ago. Um, and, you know, Kenny Omega's had that tweet pinned to the top of his Twitter profile since that point one year ago at full gear um, is that, you know, basically Moxley didn't kill him and that he was going to come back and basically make him pay for it. And here we are, you know, a year later, we're back to this point. And that's the type of long-term storytelling that I am all in on. Like, I just, I am. Like, I love that kind of stuff. Um, and now this is what you do. You work towards Kenny Omega versus John Moxley, and it's going to be great. And I thought this pay-per-view, again, top to bottom, I would probably have to go back, I guess, and watch some of the others just to compare. Uh, but I think this was the best pay-per-view AEW's done to this point because I just think every match had a purpose. Every match, even though some maybe didn't have the stories of others, they had some type of story tied into it, uh, whether that was in the build, whether that was in the actual match itself. Uh, I thought it was just everyone delivered, um, and, and it was just a, a great, great wrestling show uh, and would highly recommend. Uh, go back and watch it. If you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, maybe you're just catching up with this review, uh, would definitely go back and watch this. It was great, um, and again, just what an effort, and man, you, just, you had a lot of good matches on this show. And it also, you know, adds in the fact that you don't really know where some of this stuff is going. And that makes you want to tune in for the next part. Because remember, we had some guys on this show that, that aren't even weren't even factored into the mix. Like Lance Archer had a promo with Jake on the show, but like Lance Archer, he's what's he gonna do next? Like he's talked about going after Eddie Kingston or John Moxley. Um, what's the next move for him? And you've got those same questions, you know, with Team Taz now, with Cody and Darby Allen and Will Hobbs, um, you know, Hangman. You've got so many different ways you can go. You know, what's FTR going to do now? They've lost the titles. What's their response? Uh, what's next for them? Who's going to be the top challengers for the Young Bucks? Like, there's so many different questions coming out of the show, and I think that's why you get invested after a show like this because AEW, you know, people talk about predictability and all that. Maybe, the, in a certain sense, the story goes in a predictable direction, 
but you don't really always know how it's going to get there. And I think that is what you try to figure out along the way. And um, there's a lot of lot of questions coming out of this pay-per-view. And again, fantastic showing. I uh, just thought it was a great pay-per-view and uh, definitely want to check out if you haven't already. But uh, again, be sure to check out all of our coverage uh, from AEW Full Gear over at 411mania.com. Tony Acero, he has his uh, full review. Of course, he did the live coverage. Uh, you can check out his review over on the site uh, on there. And uh, as we continue to say, uh, we'll have the, the link to the GoFundMe for uh, Larry Zonka's family in the show notes. Uh, continue to share that if you can. Um, and uh, again, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, any podcast app you use, uh, just search for 411 on wrestling. Uh, that way you subscribe and get uh, all these podcasts sent to you when they go up. And uh, for everything else, you can follow me on Twitter at WrestleBlake. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time here on 411 on Wrestling Podcast. 